Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Alan Cumming, and welcome to my shelves. shelves are sort of a museum of my life. I like to keep things from my travels that are, to me anyway, the very essence of the experiences I've had. Sort of portals, if you will, to a specific time and place. And the inspiration for stories and memories and musings. Here is one of my favourite cushions. I love a cushion. And here's a cushion with my friend Esther the Wonder Pig's face on it. If you don't know who Esther the Wonder Pig is, please find out immediately. Here's my Alice in Wonderland watercolour set. It's a big set of watercolours and the outside in a sort of one of those old-fashioned tins with illustrations of Alice in Wonderland and the Mad Hatter and everyone at the tea party. And it's so nice, I've never used it, I just put it on a shelf. And today I'm talking to Andrew Sinclair. But neither of us had cars yeah. or a great deal of kind of <laughs> um, skills in the actual making of lampshades. Andrew Sinclair is one of my dearest, oldest, bestest friends, and he's also a man of many parts. He's been an actor, translator, a steady cam operator, a documentary maker. Oh, he also was a lampshade mogul. He had a company that made these beautiful lampshades called Chandeliers for the People. He's also an olive and an almond farmer and just a total darling, as you will hear. Andrew, lovely, lovely Andrew Sinclair. Uh, the thing I've got here, it's like a, it's like a, it's like two things. It's like two photos, but there's not. It's like a piece of card or two pieces of card with like a photocopied photo stuck to it. It's sort of weird. I don't know why that's why that should be the case. Do you? What is it? What are the photos of? The photos are of us. One's of me. One's of you. We're in your old uh, your flat in London. And we've both got pyjamas on and we've got like, but there's obviously I've taken the photo of you and you've taken the photo of me. And we're both leaning back because we've got cucumbers on our eyes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and yes. we've got uh, face and we've got face masks on as well. So we're, I, I remember we, it was we, we were, where it was the the night of your um, uh, lampshade show. And we must have gone back to yours and relaxed and had a few drinks or whatever and had a sort of a spa night. Yeah, I think we did. We did. We stayed up. Yeah. You came, you were, you were lampshade boy, weren't you, at our show? You came and helped doing the actual selling. Um, yes, I loved that so much. Oh, it was such a laugh. We did them. Yeah, it was in, I think that one was in, was it in the Cobden Club in yes. Notting Hill or somewhere? And yes, it's in a club. And it was just, I remember the room was just full of all these beautiful lampshades on little tables and everything. And it was like, Loads of people came and I had a little, I loved, I just loved it. Like I, there's something about, 
it's like how I like being, you know, being a bartender at Club Coming. I love it. I just love sort of being in touch with everybody and zipping around. And I had a little cloth over my arm, which was used to take unscrewing the light bulbs because it was yes. hot. Yeah, pre-lead bulbs. And also because there was you and me and Lauren, my lampshade, my lampshade friend, my lampshade partner. And I think we all we all got. Did you come a wee bit early or something? I'm not quite sure. But anyway, somehow or other you ended up being lampshade assistant. So our equipment yes. was a little towel over our arms to be able to take the bulbs off and a torch to shine through. So if the lampshade, which wasn't on a lamp, a little torch that we could shine to see, because I think that particular collection as we put our lampshades into was called the Dracula range. So we had these coloured linings, you remember? So if you shone the torch yes. through from inside, it would change with it's the light. two things. Um, yes, yes, I loved that. Yeah. So tell me, what was the provenance of chandeliers for the people well it was that um me I, I i was i had a friend who was a i was doing some i don't know some acting job i think back in the day and my friend Catherine was a, a makeup person and um through her i met this person called lauren who became my friend and we were both kind of at a bit of a kind of loose end she was trying to write her first children's book and I guess I was looking for some sort of acting job. And when we met, we started talking about lampshades and how hard mm. it was to find them. And for some reason, after we kind of met that first time, we both went off to look for lampshades and sure enough, found it incredibly hard to find a nice one or a cheap one. And we just thought, why don't we make them ourselves? Which was a kind of crazy thing to do. But, you know, it's absolutely true that I always think that when, when you find a lovely lamp, like especially like if you know at a, at a flea market or a jumble sale or a whatever you know some old i was up in up in the country when i go to you know you have the signs on trees saying you know estate sale today and you oh, go yes. there's some gorgeous lamp you think oh that'd be so nice it's so it, it's so difficult to get a lampshade why is that andrew i don't as know lampshade guru it's lampshade guru well we were both sent there was a shop in in um I think Kensington Church Street is probably still there, actually. But it was a shop that I think it's called something like Anne's Shades or Shades by Anne. We'd both been told that was the place to go and look for shades. So in the kind of few weeks, I guess, we see each other, saw each other again. We've been to Anne's Shades and failed to find a nice shade. And I suppose it just, I don't know what it was. We just thought it'd be really good to find a shade that wasn't either kind of, there were some that were kind of crazy. You know, people had stuck kind of feathers all over them or sort of, it made them look like a big pair of pants or something, but somewhere in between. Um, so not quite sort of just the pure kind of ones they like to call fun, a fun shade. We were, we were trying to find something that was kind of going to be kind of, I suppose, what our friends would like. And then I guess because we've been yeah. to Anne's So shade, fun but classy. Exactly. And then we got into the kind of whole sort of, I guess as we were thinking about it, we spent lots of time just meeting and chatting about our potential lampshade future. And we rather like the mm -hmm. idea of it being a kind of political thing. You deserve to have mm. a good lampshade. So that's where the name Chandeliers for People came from, as a kind of reaction to Shades by Anne or Shades by Jeremy right. or Acorn push, Interiors. Push. So it would be quite funny to have this idea that everybody deserved a chandelier, um, which in fact yeah. was a lampshade. <laughs> so that's where it came from. Yeah. And they were so beautiful. They were really and lovely. Was it you, uh, the, so, Because I remember like it got quite... I remember knowing you over that time. It got quite overwhelming. You were kind of like a lampshade mogul. 
Yes, well, the problem was, of course, the bit that we really liked was the lounging around on sofas discussing the kind of, you know, <laughs> philosophy of light and the different this and that and the chandeliers for people, all that bit was what we enjoyed. But neither of us had cars yeah. or a great deal of kind of um, <laughs> skills in the actual making of lampshades. So we spent hours on end trekking off to Southall. We'd buy lots of fabrics, sari fabrics in Southall in West London. And then we'd find oh, a yeah. man in living in this place somewhere up by Stamford Hill, and he made the metal frames. So we'd have to go up there again on sort of tubes and buses to, with our sari fabrics to show them what we wanted to make. Then we had to take the combination of all that to someplace in Suffolk to be made. But all of us going on trains... I remember you going to Suffolk, yes. Yeah, yes. it was crazy. Big, big bags of lampshades, yeah. And then I think there was, another, there, was, there was another stage of the journey of the process too where they had to go to Millwall somewhere in southeast London to be sprayed. So it's just crazy. We spent our whole life just sort of trekking rather than one kind of van driving shades from one place to another. It was us with sort of hand luggage, big bags of lampshades going from place to place. Did you sell them just like you had shows and sold them to your friends or did you sell them in shops? We tried to sell them in shops and we didn't know anything. I mean, not only trying to set up a business that involved so many stages without a car or a van was kind of crazy, but we didn't really know how to sell them. And so we'd go around to different shops when they were made and we'd just turn up like kind of travelling salesmen. And they'd all be really polite and go, oh, yeah, lovely, lovely. Oh, I love them. At the moment, we're quite full of things like that. But next time, you know, when we, when we stock up in the next season, we'll get back in touch. And they never did. Yeah. So we oh. thought, well, what we should do, we discovered, in fact, that was a kind of key thing not to do that. But you, what you should really do is um, have your shades in a studio, which is my flat, and invite all those shops people over to look at them. And then they'd be so excited right. and in competition, they'd, well, they'd buy them. Well, that's what I remember from that night, well, and many nights, but that night in particular, it was just, that room was just inundated with the stunning lampshades. I mean, it was like a, it was like a lampshade Storeroom, exactly. We got a little, you know, woozy, a little intoxicated. And I remember it was a little, the lighting was so good. It was like a good, very good lighting for having had a few. Yes. I imagine you must have taken it, because it was a one-off. Well, what we did, rather than selling them to shops in the end, we'd have these one-off kind of shows. And that was one of them, I guess. So I imagine we'd taken all our shades back afterwards. And as we were stacking them up, got a bit woozy, um, had some sort of cocktails or something. And there was a handbag imbibed, too, Andrew, wasn't there? I think there was a handbag. Oh, that's involved. right, a handbag lampshade. Yeah, that's what we're holding in the pictures. Yes. You have a sort of a bent or a propensity for having lots of different jobs like i've known you for several decades now and you the number of different things you've done let's think you've been a translator a steady cam operator <laughs> yes. a farmer i mean it's uh didn't you do noises for porn films once I did noises for porn films yeah i've done yeah sort of jack of all trades quite a i few. guess they're, they've, they're like What's that program used to be on? Duncan's Dares, remember that? When the blue key <laughs> yes, person would go off yes. and do these crazy jobs. But he would do things like yes. kind of, you know, being a a, a a soldier or a walking across a tightrope, but I'd be like a steady cam operator or a dog groomer <laughs> how did, was my selection. How did you... Oh, you were a dog groomer too? Well, they were very temporary. Most, most of my little tasks wouldn't last very long. So my, my steady cam operator was... Not operator. I was a guide, the steady cam man. Just I've been, I'd met somebody who needed that person. So often, kind of one. So you things. like walk 
behind him, making sure he doesn't fall over. Exactly. Or and this was all filmed on a roof, yeah. a flat roof. It was quite, oh, my, my job was quite important. Um, <laughs> and I, had to keep, I wasn't allowed to tap him because that would move the camera. And I wasn't really allowed to say anything either because that also might be might be recorded it would be heard yeah so it was a bit of a nightmare job and um he needed a plummet I, over a roof a few times but not in the end i was just going to say i mean like i not just don't mean to cause offense but if it was anything like your translation uh, i remember you were about to go to to translate in cuba uh with a friend of ours and uh for him and we were out for dinner just before that, you you all went, and we were in this restaurant in Spain, and you couldn't remember the word for lamb, and you said, <laughs> "I would like, I would like the dish that is made from little sheep or something." Yeah, Wasn't I think I said, said? "I'd like, I'd like that one, the 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 meat that comes from the the animal that makes wool." I think that's what it was. I oh, talked that, my way around that's that. That's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten I'd got myself on that trip as a translator. God, I had, didn't I? With incredibly yeah. basic Spanish, and. <laughs> yes, God, yes. I think that, that was a, kind of the story of lots of those jobs, actually. I managed to scan my way in and uh, just about get through it. There are a few kind of moments in Cuba, I remember, where I didn't really have a clue what I was supposed to be translating, so I just made it up and uh, <laughs> hoped it got. You know, I remember hearing, do you remember in the 70s, 80s or something, maybe 80s, 90s, there were lots of, there was a sudden rush of sort of um, martial art films that were kind of in sort of, I suppose, second grade cinemas. They'd be kind of on the, 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 right. the screen two, three, four. And um, somebody told me that they'd just bought them in bulk from China. And they were all dubbed, but nobody had bothered to know what they're actually saying. They just made the sort of the noises and the words they thought might fit in. So when a Chinese person would watch the English version, it would bear any relation to the original. And that was a bit like my Cuban translation. I just thought those hand <laughs> gestures, those eyebrow movements, that must mean, no, no, I cannot play this part like this. So I just said, no, she's not very happy with that line. Which is probably saying, I want to go to the toilet or something. But it seemed to work. I thought you were referring to your porn noises career there when you're talking about this, the, the voiceover stuff. How did that happen? That happened again. That happened by somebody. I met somebody at a party um, who said I was in Barcelona and I was being there for a while. And uh, he said, oh, you should get into this thing that I've been doing, which is doing voiceovers um, for this particular kind of film studio. So, oh, OK, great. Um, thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll look them up. And so I looked them up. And this particular film studio was a vast porn distributor. And for some reason, lots of porn films go to this film studio in the kind of outskirts of Barcelona and get dubbed into different languages. And so they need all the different languages versions with the noises included so um i rang them up and they said oh yeah great okay english perfect okay would you like to send along a tape to kind of see what you can do so um without any kind of warning of you any they didn't send me a kind of a, example of what i should be doing just a tape for me to imagine so i had to imagine mm. what this scene might do but might involve noise wise bit of groaning grunting sort of oh and what you did in addition you like sent them in a tape if you like like doing sex yeah yeah and that sadly was as far as that oh, job got actually i never got taken on <laughs> so what was your what was your tape like what did it consist of well i can't remember it's a lot of sort of sort of oh ah hmm. sort of, 
and some heavy breathing. And I just couldn't, I, I, I hadn't even seen the film. I didn't know what special area we were in, whether it was sort of like bestial, so it'd be a sort of panting Labrador or, <laughs> I had no idea. So I just made a kind of coverall kind of sex noise. And I have a friend, I have a good friend who's a Foley artist. I remember ringing her, Foley artist oh, yeah. being that person that adds all the sounds to films and stuff. So I'm ringing her like and asking. The scraping, the scraping of your microphone right now. It feels oh, sorry. That's a bit of a Foley. Like, no, but it's just it's funny. It's sort of like, <laughs> Adding an extra scrape. It's exactly. Yeah, they have like little little boxes of old tape, you know, the tape out of cassettes. And they sort of make that, they lift that up and down and it sounds like someone's walking on pebbles or something. Exactly. And little sort of boxes of gravel tricks. and different shoes yeah. and paper and stuff. So I rang her to see if she knew anything about close. it, but she had never covered sex noises either. So it's quite a closed area, it seems. It's quite a kind of difficult to get any advice on how you make foley noise, a folied sex noise. I don't know. I have to say the worst thing, you know, that when you do looping, when you're an actor, you do, you know, you have to do the lines again or you have to, sometimes there's changes in the lines and you have to sort of make them, you know, they will be you speaking then they'll cut away to someone. And when they cut away, you have to say new words and make the sentence work when it comes back to you. It's really, it's really difficult. But the worst thing of all is when you have to redo, revoice your, your um, sex scenes. It's oh, yeah. just, or like I once had to revoice an orgasm. <laughs> I did, and it's embarrassing enough, you know, pretending to have an orgasm, uh, but having to redo it in like a darkened room with a bunch of kind of guys all looking at you through the glass, or the headphones on, looking just listen to every detail. headphones on. Yeah, now can we go again? Can we take that again, Alan? A little bit, a little loud on the end there. Not very it's convincing. Just the worst thing ever. <laughs> Not very convincing. That was one of my mini jobs. Actually, I had to. I did once. I had to. There was a Peter Greenaway film that had been shot in. Uh, Slovenia, Slovakia, somewhere in Eastern Europe. And everybody except mm. the main characters were Eastern Europeans who were cast very, very quickly. And when they got the kind of recording back, lots of them spoke with these crazy accents, even they're supposed to be kind of medieval British people or mm. Europe. Anyway, so my that little mini job was adding to those lips the English version of, of whatever they were supposed to be saying. And that was, a, that was more difficult than the porn, actually. I'd rather done the porn, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have done the porn <laughs> and also now I, I just think it's hilarious that you're like an almond and um, uh, olive uh, farmer because I mean you actually are that that's not like you're that's true mm, yeah she produced them yeah we do yeah you like spend a lot of your time rearing almonds or not rearing alm almonds but sort of what do you call it nurturing almonds yes we do it always seems a bit kind of um Marie Antoinette playing shepherdess in a sort of way. We're not there all the time. <laughs> and they obviously do need a lot. Well, not so much, but they do. You know, if you're going to do it really properly, there's a lot of pruning and kind mm. of, we don't do any plowing if we're going for the, the more kind of sustainable version. But there's a lot of but you're stuff You're always to do. with your, uh, what do you call it? Your shifter. What's that thing called? Your fitzer. Oh, yes, thing, the um, strimmer. Thing. What do you call it? Uh, yeah, strimming. You're always strimming. Yep. Yeah, he has a lot of activity going on. But we don't produce an enormous amount. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty pretty good. And that was the thing. We didn't really kind of notice. We obviously noticed, but it wasn't sort of, oh, yeah, it's got almonds and olives, lovely, very nice. I had a garden. And, of course, once we got there and were sort of visiting there and being there a lot, we then thought, oh, my God, we've got to look after all these trees. So that's how it happened. What would happen if you didn't? Like, what, what would happen to the almonds and the olives? Would they stop producing or something? I think they would in the end. Yeah, almonds, almonds kind of are quite delicate. 
they would get they'd, they'd end up first. Olives seem to be completely immortal; they go on and on forever. You have to prune them to make <laughs> sure they keep producing things. But and as I say, we're not there that much. We're there there. We're there enough to keep it all going. But I, we probably should be there more to kind of really be producing proper quantities. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Out to Lunch with me, Jay Rayner, the podcast in which I take a particularly brilliant famous person to a top restaurant and grill them to a turn. In this latest season, you'll find me having delicious dinners with the likes of Patrick Keelty, David Hare, Nina Conti, Dame Eileen Atkins and Mary Beard and the reliably outrageous Miriam Margulies. Richard E. Grant was on that. He has a, an always compulsion to smell whatever's around him. Has he never come and sniffed you? <laughs> Probably wisely, no. <laughs> All that and so much more. So do join me, Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I loved one time when we came to visit you and it was because what I didn't realize is that when olives, when you harvest your olives, a big truck comes and a big they put a big net thing round the bottom of the olive tree and then they sh- and then the machine shakes the olive tree like really vigorously that's how they do it it's just like shaking it so all the olives fall into this and they catch it in this net but of course there's some that fall yeah. off the sides or they miss some and so what we did is we raked up all the sort of reject ones or the ones that missed and took them down uh, in in big buckets down to the village where the sort of olive oil repository was and it was so exciting i loved it so much because you could see you, you you pour your olives in and they weigh it first don't they to see how much you've got and then they and they can actually make olive oil for you right there and then mm. or you can just take the money take the money and run we took the money and run but i just yeah. think it's so exciting that machine that that comes to shake the trees is called a, a vibrator which caused some confusion no. at the beginning a vibrador Come on. comes and vibrates the trees. So it's like when, when they were first saying, would you like us to bring over our vibrator? We thought, oh, it must be, again, my translation was, ooh, I'm not sure if I'm still a bit few stages oh back in my vocabulary skills, but it turned out to be the right word. Andrew, tell us about the time you had the guy working on the, was he Croatian? The, oh, the one, God, and you were using the, the translator. Guy. Oh, my well, God. Polish. Oh my God! You're the running theme of translation mistakes or potential mistakes. Yeah. Oh, was Why terrible. was he there? Why did you have a Polish man working for you? What was going but on? But it was a weird thing about another another foreigner living in the area um, had decided that he couldn't find anybody 
who was capable of repairing his house, which is in the village. And I think his brother lived in Germany and had used this Polish man to kind of do up his house in Germany somewhere and was very cheap and efficient and cool and did things very quickly and, you know, was a really good worker, etc., etc., etc. But he didn't have enough work just on this friend's house. So he said to us, why don't we share the, the flight to get him over and employing him? So I'll use him for two weeks and you use him for two weeks. And maybe you could pass him on to somebody else. He could be there for six weeks doing up various friends' houses. And some or other, it fell to us to be the first people in this rotor. So I picked him up from the airport. Um, I had a little app. I'd managed to fit a kind of Polish to English app into my phone. So theoretically, I talked in English and out it came as Polish. <clears throat> so once we established we had no language in common at all, I got onto the app. So on the drive down, I'd sort of say things like, oh, that's the, um, the place where this happens, or these mountains are called this or that. And I'd turn it off and then play the app back to him. And it said, and he said, uh -huh, nodding quite happily. And then we got to the house. Oh, so it was like a, he heard a voice. It wasn't just written down. He heard an actual voice. And it wrote it down for you to access it later. Um, but he, had, oh he heard the voice. And he was all very smiley and happy with it. And then I think the next day we were showing him things to do, what we would, you know, what, what the work would like him to do. And one of them was to fit a gutter to collect some rainwater on the side of the house. So... I'm already worried about the word gutter. <laughs> exactly. It gets worse. So <laughs> it was um, the what I was meaning to say to him was, uh, I'll, if you got the ladder ahead of me, um, then you'll be able to see. Where, the, where I'd like to fit the gutter. And then we'd put it on these. And it was also technical talk about him being on the ladder ahead of me, basically. And uh, I remember him looking a little bit startled when I played back this recording to him. But it was all in Polish, so I didn't know. And then mm -hmm. as the kind of week progressed, he got more and more kind of difficult and kept refusing to do things we asked him to do and do exactly the opposite of what we asked him to do. And eventually he just left. We just had to pass him on to the, the second person when thinking what the hell went wrong with that we was so cheery and charming and i wonder if i gave him the wrong instructions or i was rude or the translating machine the app had sort of somehow missed out some polish politenesses so um i play i couldn't play the app back but it did do it recorded all the conversations as printed uh as text as text exactly so i ran it back and oh yes this thing the first bit about the lovely view and the mountains where this cheese was made and then we came to the bit with the ladder going up the ladder towards the gutter and what was printed there was you pop up that ladder ahead of me and show your show me your plump ass and i'll fuck it till i'm done it's like <laughs> what the hell how did that how did oh my god and it was all printed out and if it hadn't been if it hadn't been printed out i thought that can't be it cannot have I mean, there was nothing that i said that could possibly 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 in any kind of you know, double meaning of words, said that. So whether it was an app, it was a free app. So beware, anybody, your free app <laughs> well, may be tampered you see, with. You get what you pay for. You get what you bloody Oh, my God. No, I, I just think the word gutter, though, the word gutter, I think, oh, something's going to go wrong here. Yes. There's going to be some... That could have been the key, I but, guess. Oh. Gutter could have tipped it off into the kind of X-rated. So the guy thought you were asking, oh, my God. He thought I was hinting some, but obviously thought... He, 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 hinting? <laughs> hinting? <laughs> we left hinting way back there. I'm amazed. Oh my being, God. I mean, not to be generalised, but Poland isn't, you know, especially now, isn't a kind of particularly um, 
gay-friendly countries. So amazing. Friends just of the gays. Then and there. But he seemed to kind of yeah, get over right. that. He just slowly... They banned them, didn't they? I mean, they said they don't exist. Exactly. They don't that make their the own. That, yeah. There are no gays in Poland. Apparently. Don't have... The... No, no. Oh, my God, that's absolutely hilarious. So you've... Have, have, but you still have... You still have people come and help you. Don't you do things? And you had some... Yes. I don't you know, use an little... app anymore, um, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I love the number of scrapes you get into and the love the number of jobs you've had and and also you know when I first met you the, the, how we first met was I should tell everyone was when you auditioned to be either Rosencrantz or Guildenstern I can't remember or maybe one of either yeah that's uh, right when I was when I was giving my Hamlet and uh, that we met when when you came to audition for that and that was in 1993 that's before I knew uh Susie actually. Oh was it? And um yeah because I was I did Hamlet before I did Cabaret and I met her when I did Cabaret. So but uh, but but you know I I was going to say just like when was that? At some point during the the pandemic Grant and I were watching on on the Criterion channel. We were watching all these uh old films and there you were in in uh Morris in the uh, Merchant Ivory film Morris, which I'd forgotten you were oh in. Oh my god, that's and right. so that was when you were when you were an actor, and uh, you had been in those. Uh, you were, were you in more than one Merchant Ivory film? Yeah, I was in three actually. I think I was in Morris oh. and um, Remains of the Day, although I was cut out of that, so I'm no longer there. Uh, and what was the third one? Um, Howard's End. Howard's End. How oh, did you play in Howard's End? Howard's End. I was. God, I can't even remember. Isn't that awful? I was some sort of peripheral, you know, sort of 1910 figure larking around. I can't, <laughs> I can't what I was doing now. I still remember a lot of, they were very kind of um, authentic, the, the makeup person and the costume person, which actually I think has stood them in really good stead. So when you watch them now, most people do seem to have the kind of look of the times. They don't have yes. crazy 70s do's. No, no. It's not like watching Dr. Zhivago or something where they all have kind of bouffant the 70s 60s. yeah yeah so we weren't allowed to wash our hair i remember when we arrived we were told for sort of the month before the filming not to be able to wash our hair and for some reason i was always it was i suppose they were autumn 1913-ish time and i remember in morris mm-hmm. anyway with my very very kind of unwashed hair we went for costume the costume fitting there was one again very authentic hat that people had come out of the boer war and, of course, you always think of boaters and things, but this particular hat mm. at the time people had also worn because it was fashionable from the Boer War. And the costume woman said, you to, how about you, Andrew? Would you like to wear this hat amongst your group of three fellow students of Clive, who I think was um, Clive and Morris, Hugh Grant and James Wilby. So I went, OK, yeah, uh-huh. great. So I tried the hat on and the hat was huge. So it was like wearing a giant <laughs> halo on my head. So even though I had about five lines, every scene I'm in, you see me framed by this vast yes, hat rim. So that was quite a good move. But we, when we first met, then, there was lots of things going on at the same time. Because I remember also there was that meeting at the, at the audition. And then mm-hmm. um, one of, again, of my kind of um, mini job, micro jobs, was being a checker of outfits for models at the sort of final show of the London fashion thing. They had they used to have oh, the London yes. Fashion Week 
that have a kind of the best of in the V&A, was it? I think it was the V&A, yeah. one of those, mu- those museums. I think it was, in a big tent. Exactly. Next to the V&A. John Galliano was getting a big award, wasn't it? Wasn't that the night? I think and it you was. you were there. And I was there. My job, again, I'd been, I think I was staying with my friend Charlotte, who's a, who's a um, stylist. And she then wanted, she needed somebody to be kind of ticking, with a clipboard, ticking off all the models wearing the right outfits and their pants were hanging in the right place and all that. So I said, oh, I'll do it. So that was my job that day. I was a person kind of surrounded by naked models, passing them shirts and ticking off their names on a clipboard. And I came out to take a breather. I go, oh, my God. And there you were, you and Saffron right outside. So it's, oh, it's you again. So we kept on meeting. We kept on right, kind of being right. in the same little spheres. And then there was an actress called Cameron Mannheim who did a, an American movie. Yes. And then she was a friend she of a friend of mine. She was in Michelle's high school reunion with exactly, me. Exactly. That was it. Yeah. And, and she, she came over to London. She came over to London. And she, I knew her through a friend I was at drama school with. And I think she didn't know we were friends. That was it. We had made friends. And she said to me, I'm working with this actor called Alan Cumming. You would love him. You've got to be friends. You've got to be friends. You, two. Ah, you would love each other. How funny. I know. It's ah, true. That's so true. She was right. Oh, that's so funny. And I, I'd forgotten about that thing about the the V&A, the fashion thing, because what I remember from that night was it was a special award that uh, Galliano was getting. And, and Saffron, who was my girlfriend at the time, she'd worked with him a lot. And, and so she came down, you know, sort of wear, it was wearing all his best outfits. And she had to come and, and she had to be ripping these pages out of a book whilst, maybe it's the Bible or something, like wearing a, a fabulous sort of crazy outfit and her hair was all, you know, bonkers. I remember like going home that night with her and, and she had all like sort of chalk and weird shit in her hair. They always, it was really crazy living with a supermodel because yes. they would always have weird stuff in the bed from the from the shoot the day before well i was a person sweeping that out of the corridors i was a person kind of as the lights of saffron <laughs> came off and sprayed all their chalk and glitter and stuff and andrew can you sweep that out of the way out of the way so i was a kind of a person <laughs> clearing it for the next model to come and that was so funny i love you andrew it's been so great talking oh, to you about our chatting. I, what, you know, if, you know, if this uh, acting lark doesn't um, um, pan out for me, I know I've always got a career as as a lampshade shop boy. Absolutely, or even olive harvester. Olive harvester. Actually, I'm more likely to go back to that. That would be right up my street as That'd a great, a sort of a farmer wannabe. Um, good luck with quarantine. And you good too. luck with everything and i'll talk to you soon and thank you for walking down memory lane with me today on an incoming shelves it was absolutely lovely thank you enjoy the the wonder i loved it and i yay. love you yay love you love you bye. too bye 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 well that's all the time we've got folks thank you for listening and i hope you'll join me next time on alan coming shelves Alan Cumming Shelves is hosted by me, Alan Cumming, duh, and produced by the lovely Jack Claremont. We are part of the ACAS Creator Network and the Crowd Network too. We just love networks. Another Crowd Network podcast to check out is... Death of a Film Star. These are the stories of Hollywood icons like Heath Ledger, Carrie Fisher, Robin Williams and more. They're beautifully written episodes all around 25 minutes long and they paid tribute to some of the greatest actors that have ever been. The episode about Chadwick Boseman is brilliant. To check it out, just search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.